as we uh, begin this uh, sermon today, we go on to, we realize that this is the end of uh, January. Hard to believe that it has passed already, and it's the fifth Sunday. Of course, it means we have a fellowship meal, which I'm looking forward to very much, but also we take this Sunday uh, four times a year and have a special offering for our missions uh, team, uh, our missions. Now, our missions at our church run uh, separate from our regular general budget. We have a our general offerings go to the ministry and the missions through their church, and then we have a missions budget. So 100% of those don't go into administration or anything. All of those go to support our great missionary partners here in Estes, uh, in the region, and throughout the world. And so uh, we, uh, what we do um, is we collect all of the funds throughout the 12 months, starting in uh, May, and... Uh, all the way to the end of April, and whatever we come up with, that becomes our next missions budget for the next year. So we're getting a little past halfway into that, and uh, we are, I think, just about, what, three to $4,000 behind where we would like to be so we could keep our missions at the same level. And so that's where all of this uh, Fifth Sunday offerings kind of go into that. And so if you're so moved uh, to be able to make a special offering into our uh, towards the missions budget, we call it Kingdom Commitment. Uh, you could do that on your offering envelope. If you make a, uh, a offering there, the place there that says missions, and you could just write down the amount of your offering that goes to the missions, and uh, all of that will go there. Uh, it would be great. And, and I'll also say this, that um, and several families have done this, actually quite a few, and I encourage it. If all of our families would give about $15 a month, uh, which is you know about uh, three slices of pizza uh, a month, towards our missions, we would be fully funded through the year. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to make a recurring offering towards this to support our missionaries. And one other thing is um, be praying about, we, we've been supporting for years a, a mission in India. In fact, us and all the, the churches in Estes kind of came together. Primarily, it was uh, Rocky and us, Mountain View, and Summit helped a little bit on this. And we uh, was with uh, the Leap Freedom Network, and uh, then it became Dignity Freedom Network, and it was to build a school in Miraconum, and all of our funds from the churches in Estes went to build the school and pay for the teachers and all of that. And it seems that we may need to transition away from it. Uh, there's been some changes in leadership, and it kind of reeks of a little bit of, of um, mm, I don't think that, it's, that things are, are being handled properly with the right kind of spirit. And if you have been giving to DFN or towards... Uh, are like saw sponsoring those children and things. I'm going to invite you to come to our next missions team meeting, which is in a couple of weeks, second Sunday of, uh, of February, and we'll talk about what's happening there. And uh, for everyone else, I'd be praying about that because we can't have corruption in the church. We can't have, and I'm not going to allow our church to have our our heart and our spending going towards corrupt things. Uh, a lot of great things have happened through DFN. Amazing, and I'd like to see those continue, but. Uh, we got to trust God in this. We also want to be good stewards. And so we need uh, wisdom, and we also want to make sure things are done right. So if you give to these uh, towards this and you've been supporting DFN personally, I encourage you to come to our next missions meeting after our second service on the second Sunday in February. All right, so that's our offering on that, and uh, we'll collect at the end. If you're uh, joining us online or you'd like to give online, you can always go to our website, estespark.church, hit the give button, and you can set up your giving there. It's uh, in our safe, secure uh, little portal there. All right, well, let's go into faith, because when we give, it should be an expression of faith, shouldn't it? 
not out of obligation, not out of guilt. It shouldn't be out of, uh, when we support our missions, we don't do that because uh, it's something that we just feel like, well, there's, we just have to do. We're doing this human effort, and that's why I'm offering things. If we're going to give or we're going to serve or even showing up on Sunday, I hope that you're not here just out of mere obligation. I would hope that as our Christian life, it's an expression of our faith. And we've been talking about this, this entire series of, of that faith really matters. And today we're going to focus on how does that faith not just stay the way it was, but how does it grow, not just in us, but how does it grow even through our lives? And there's a reason that we do that. There's a reason as a pastor, as your shepherd of your souls, I really care that you have, are expressing your faith. It goes back to our anchor verse for this, Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. In fact, it's such a great verse, and I've done it now three weeks in a row, and it's very, very, very easy. Would you just say it along with me once? All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6. Man, set that to your heart. How many times do we want to please God by what we do? We want to please God by, by, you know, bribing him by our actions or with our money or with anything else? That what God wants is he wants our faith because he wants our faithfulness. Talked about last week. And we, we began with the series in, in Hebrews 11, 1, where it talks about that you know, faith is this confidence, it's this assurance of, of God's promises, that, that God is uh, going to keep his word. Like Our confidence is in him, right? And, and so we have this confident assurance, and it, and it works through our loyalty to him. That's why the, the full expression of faith is faithfulness, that we're going to be loyal to God, that we're going to love him with our whole hearts, our whole minds, our whole strength, our whole spirit, right? That there's... It's not like the, the first commandment is divorced from what God seeks from us. He wants our faith. He wants our loyalty. He wants us. So the only way to please God is, is to really give him that. We are saved by grace through faith and not by work. By choosing him first in our whole hearts and our lives with everything that we are. And so we begin with that, but how does it grow? Because I think most of us, we, we don't begin our Christian walk with this understanding like, God, I am so selfless, I'm going to choose you above all else, right? I'm not saved by the perfection of my faith. So how do we have our faith grow to a point that we actually can say, God, I love you with my whole heart, my whole mind, with, with all of my strength, with all of my emotions? Because that's where I want to be. I'm not, I haven't attained that yet, but I'm getting closer. How do we see our faith grow? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11, where we've been. It talks about this. In fact, it does it through examples and story, right? And, and really, we talk about like the whole book of Hebrews, as you're turning there, is this book written by the unknown writer, right, to these Christians under horrible persecution, putting names down would have been certain death for everybody and torture. And the purpose of the whole book is to stay faithful. That's it. So by the time you get to uh, Hebrews 11, there's examples of what does it look like to realize that we're not the first people in the world who've had a hard time being faithful to God. And are not the first ones that have faced adversity, are not the first ones who have gone through hardship, are not the first ones who had questions and doubts. And yet, throughout from the very beginning, God has those who have demonstrated faith in their life, even though imperfectly. And then he gives us these great examples. And he starts out by defining faith, verse 1, and then he talks about why it's important. 
And then we get into all those examples of, proof of faith at work. And, and, and today we're really going to focus on one very important individual who I think exemplifies a, a growing faith, one that we can follow, one that I think a lot of us in many ways should be able to identify and uh, we begin reading about him in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now Abraham was just a guy. Now we read his name and we think like superstar of faith. He was just an old dude that was living in this, this crazy pagan town before there was even the Bible written. And there was, you know, he was just a guy that lived his life. He was seven years old, ready for retirement, right? Ready to, to just move on to his golden years, but didn't have any offspring or anything like this. And, but he'd had enough that he, that he could recognize there was one true God. He, he knew the story of the God of, of Noah, right? Of the God of, of, of Adam. He understood that there was God. He just didn't know him all that well. And God said, hey, I want you to move to a place, and where am I going? And you know when you're in your 20s, it's really easy to get in your car and say, hey, let's just go on a trip. Where are we going to stop? I don't know. There might be hotels. You get a little bit older, you want to know the name of the hotel, that they have your room ready, and it's got a nice restaurant close by. And God told him to go. And he didn't have any idea where that was. Do you think he had questions or doubt? Do you think the people around him were just like, okay, Abraham, that makes sense. They were probably like, this dude's getting a little senile. Oh, you're going to go where? I don't know. Who told you? God did. Which one? No, the one true God. What? You ever had doubts? You ever feel God's calling you into the unknown? Welcome to the club. That's how it begins. And we keep reading on that. It says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land as a like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. That is deep. This is an entire life. How do you, how do you encapsulate a life in a sentence? He moved and he lived in a tent. He waited on the promise of God because God promised him, you're going to have many descendants. Change his name from Abram, right, exalted father, to Abraham father of many, when he didn't have any kids, and he had to walk around and, and introduce himself to that as an old man. How you doing, exalted father? No, 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 no. Fa it's father of many now. Okay, crazy old man. This land was promised to me. I'm going to go live in my tent and move around. And then his kids and then his grandkids did the exact same thing, waiting on the promise. That's a lot of patience. Have you ever felt like you've been waiting on God, wondering when he's going to come through? You know he made the promise, but you just wonder. Have doubts? Join the club. That God sometimes works through the waiting for our benefit. And in this waiting, God did some amazing things in and through Abraham. We keep reading. For he was looking forward to the city of, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, 
Abraham didn't look at his present circumstance. He looked ahead at the greater reality. And God is either real or he's not. That's why Hebrews 11:6, right before that, said, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For by faith, we know that God, one, exists, and two, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Either that's true or it's not. And Abraham is somebody who we remember his name to this day and his life to this day, which is remarkable because most of you don't even know your great-grandparents' names. But we know Abraham, and we know the details of his life, and he is great because he didn't live for today. He didn't live for what he saw. He recognized the reality that God, A, exists, and two, he rewards those who seek him earnestly. And so he kept his eyes on the promise, and he knew that God would not lie. And God was not slow in keeping his promise, although it felt very much like it he was. And he knew that God was doing something in him that was better than he could ever do on his own. And so, there is a land that we're going to go to, several people in this church and the rest of you. I mean, it's there, it's on a map. A promised land is there. Foundations whose architect and builder is God. You want God to do something in your life. If you want to be part of something that's not so temporary, that when you die, everything that you ever live for will eventually be washed away, then we have to build our life on a better foundation. We have to build our life according to a better promise. We have to live our life for a better purpose. And we're not the first to do so. This has been around for a while. And we're invited into it, just like Abraham. Keep reading. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And I love this because Sarah is a big part of this. The promise wasn't just for Abraham. It was for her, too. And she also needed to have faith. And granted, both she and Abraham, they had a little moment of weakness in there. They had the Ishmael was born, and some issues then ensued for humanity afterwards. But despite that, she had, even though imperfect, she still trusted God. She still allowed God to work in her life. And when she didn't believe God could even do it anymore, she was just like, okay, Lord, whatever, ha, 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 I'm going to have a kid in a year. Guess what? Ha, 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 she had a kid named Laughter. Because God is faithful. And she got to see in her own lifetime the promise fulfilled. Pretty amazing. Well, and so from this one man, and I like this, and he is good as dead right? Old dude, not going to have kids. Might as well die. God did something that he could never do, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. And even to this day, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still exist. Every continent, all over the world. Pretty phenomenal. God's promises don't exist in a vacuum. They don't exist in fairy tales. They exist in reality. Because our God is the God of the real. 
He is the God that says, I am that I am. Not that I might be, not that I will be, not the God who was. He's not the God who has been. He is the God who is that he is. He is the God of the ultimate reality, and his promises are true. Now, this story that we had seen here is basically a summary of Genesis 12 through 21. That's a lot of scripture that, that it was just being reminded of. Hey, listen, guys, God is faithful and has been faithful, but he works through the faithful too, doesn't he? And so he was loyal, right? And, uh, and we see that, that Abraham was loyal to God, but he wasn't perfect. He didn't always trust God. I mean, there was two different times in there where he lied about his wife. Now, she had to be exceedingly beautiful, or the women of that age had to be exceedingly ugly. I can't, I don't know which of the which, but she is an old gal, and he was worried he was going to get murdered because she was so attractive. Right? said, no, she's my sister. Twice tried to, like, he wasn't brave. Right? And yet, God worked through him. And yeah, he wasn't perfect. And when, when you know, he had Ishmael with Hagar, that, that whole episode was not a, a bright, shining moment of his life. And there were consequences, and there was heartbreak for Abraham in the midst of all of that. But God didn't abandon him. God knew that that was going to happen beforehand. He didn't, he didn't walk away from Abraham and be like, well, guess you blew it. Bye-bye. See, God was faithful even when Abraham wasn't perfect. I love that about God. Because I'm not perfect a lot of the times. You all know that. You're like, amen. But I'm becoming more perfect, just like Abraham. We see he, he started in an infancy of faith. He trusted God enough to leave his hometown, but not enough to trust God with not being murdered because somebody liked his wife. He, he trusted God enough to live in a tent, but not God enough to allow him to have a child with his aging wife. But eventually, he began to trust God even with those things. And finally, he had Isaac when he was 100 years old. That's 30 years waiting when you're already, the clock is already ticking. He was as good as dead. And God brought Isaac. He brought the promise that, that Abraham had been waiting for. And then God also affirmed, said, yes, this is the son. This is the one who I'm going to keep my promise through. This one right here. You're going to have all kinds of, of, of descendants through. So many, they're going to call you the father of many. Even though he had one kid, he, you know, an only child, they're like, you're going to be the father of many because Isaac is going to have descendants. Like through him, you're going to have lots and lots and lots of, of, of descendants. So a lot was hanging on Isaac. A whole lot. Abraham sold everything, moved to another land, lived in a tent for, for 30 years, you know, Walked around with a crazy name, right, for 30 years, right? Had all the ridicule for 30 years and finally has a child. He's, he's redeemed, right? He's vindicated, which is a great thing. And for 12 years, God let Abraham and Sarah enjoy that blessing. He's got the child of promise. God keeps his word. And then, well, there's a test. Read about it in Genesis 22. It says, sometime later, about 12 years, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, 
and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. What? The test seems so cruel. And often faithfulness appears that way at first. There are things that God asks us to do in Scripture that in the moment seems like he's just being cruel and he doesn't make any sense. And he'd be like, I, I lived in a tent for 30 years. That was 40 years ago now, God. I, I, I changed my name. I, I, I accepted all this ridicule. I, I've, I've grown close to you. I've seen your promise. I'm going to what? Not only sacrifice my son. You, not that he's gonna, you're going to take him and he's just going to die. You want me to kill him. And not only that, you want me to have him as a burnt offering so there's nothing left to come back. And he won't exist. And I'll see all of my dreams literally go up in smoke. And then I've got to explain this to my family and my friends and all the people around here who have already thought I was nuts. You're asking me to do something that seems so wrong, so opposite of, of what I, everything I understand about you, God. There was questions. You ever questioned God? What he asked seems so crazy, so out there, so wrong to you. You can't understand it. But this test wasn't cruel. God already knew the outcome. But he was doing something for Abraham and for us that is absolutely amazing. And realize this, that God was not asking something of Abraham that he wasn't willing to do himself. For a couple thousand years later on that very place, God sent his one and only son to die on a cross to be sacrificed to pay the penalty for our sin to redeem us from our guilt and our shame so that we could be reconciled to him. See, this was a test of faith and being this was a test for Abraham to say, God, I'm going to choose you even above me. I'm going to choose you above all of the hopes that I have. I'm going to choose you above the joy of the promise that, that you've given me. I'm going to choose you above my understanding. I'm going to choose you above my doubt. I'm going to choose you above my fears. I'm going to choose you above my own family. I'm going to choose you above even the life of my son. That's a pretty hard test. It's not a test that God gave Abraham on day one. On day one, he said, sacrifice your comfort in your hometown. It took him 42 years. And now he's saying, Abraham, love me with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with all of your strength. Trust me. And how did Abraham respond? Verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It's a short sentence. It's also worthy of memorizing, by the way. Because there are times that I have my Isaacs. And I realize this is where God is calling me. Not to tempt me or to torment me, but to set me free from the blessing. Because how many times do we become a prisoner of the promise? we read in scripture, God's going to do this thing for you, and you're like, fine, I will, 
I will serve God so long as it leads to this. And now I'm held captive by that blessing. And if that blessing doesn't turn out the way that I want, all of a sudden my entire world falls apart. That's why when sometimes Christians go through hard things, they give up on God. Why? Because they didn't ever really worship God. They were worshiping the blessing, the thing that was taken away. And that's too small a thing to worship. Sometimes God has to remove the biggest things in our lives so that we can center on him. And know this, that God doesn't want to keep good things from you. That's why there's heaven. You know heaven is like, like unmitigated goodness? Like it's ridiculously amazing. God does not want to torment you. He wants to bless you. He's not in it for your suffering. He's in God created paradise to begin with. That's a very pleasurable place. God wants good things for us, but he doesn't want the good things to rule us. And he's jealous for our hearts because he cares for us too much. And Abraham passed the test. Now, the amazing thing is, is that Abraham didn't actually have to kill his son and burn him on the altar. Why? Because the decision had been made. He brought him up there, put him on the altar, had the wood there, brought the knife up, was ready to plunge it down is when God stopped it. His heart was already there. He passed the test. He, he knew in his own heart that, God, I chose you above even my best understanding. Now, it didn't mean that he didn't try to reason this out. For it says here, that he who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from God. See, he recognized that God could do the impossible. How did he know that God could do the impossible? Isaac. You don't have children when you're 100 years old. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And he had seen God's promises being fulfilled. He saw God's faithfulness to him through the past, and he says, listen, God doesn't always have to make sense. And even if I have to kill my son and I have to burn him up and there's nothing left but ashes, he's going to raise him from the dead, I guess, because he said, I'm going to have descendants through him. I don't know how God's going to work. I know that God's going to work. and He does not lie. See, he believed that God exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He had faith. He trusted God. He chose him first. And because of that, he became the father of many. He received the promise. The angel stopped them from, from actually sacrificing his son. Had a ram there, so he was able to have the, the sacrifice. He was able to live the rest of his life in prosperity and peace, knowing this, enjoying the the the, the the relationship with his son, and the favor of God, but being set free from the prison of always wondering, well, is Isaac going to be okay? Is Isaac going to live? Is it, if something bad happens to Isaac, what if he's not going to be faithful? No, God's going to keep his promise. He wasn't held captive by fear anymore. The blessings in his life now served him instead of he serving the blessing. How amazing. So, Abraham got to a point in his life, and it took him a while, where he loved God and chose God above everything else. I think a, a, an incredible test of faith that none of us have really been brought to, at least not that I know of. But God does constantly bring us to those points of saying, sacrifice the thing that's getting in the way between me and you. I don't want to have the blessing keep, keep you off track. I don't want it to, to rule your life. 
But once we pass the test, God is always there with great blessing, isn't he? Because he's a good father. He just doesn't want the blessing to destroy you. This is why so often when we pray to God, there, there'll be like, uh, and uh, it seems to me, I don't know if the devil does this or God, there's always like a, a counterfeit answer, right? You're praying for something and then you seem like you're going to have like, it's just the right thing, except not perfect. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, you know, not be fully faithful. I can accept this blessing, but it's not quite right. It's going to cause me to, to give in on my, my understanding of God, or it's going to keep me from worshiping him, or it's going to, you know, there's some, there's some catch to it. It's not perfect, but it's close. It's shiny and great, and we think, oh, the Lord has blessed me with this thing that's going to cause me to, to compromise. But if we can pass that test, how much often we say, no, I'm going to sacrifice that, God. I, I choose you even above that blessing and there's usually the real blessing behind it. I don't know why it always works that way, but it seems like there's oftentimes that's what happens. And I think a part of it is that God wants to make sure that we're not worshiping the answer. We're worshiping the answerer. So for Abraham, he started as a man who was willing to leave his hometown to follow. That was a lot of faith. And in 30 years, and basically a thousand-mile journey, and wandering for all this time, he finally gets to a point where he chooses God above everything. So, three observations that I get from this. That Abraham chose to follow God's will. How how does his faith grow? He started with this. He's like, God, I'm going to follow you. And the first step was a little bit easier than the last step of that journey, wasn't it? Leave your hometown. I'm going to give you a place. Don't worry. Just got to go. That's a hard test, but it's way easier than sacrifice your one and only son, whom I've given you all promises about. See, he began with this attitude, I'm going to follow God's will. And if you want your faith to grow, that's where it begins. So Abraham moved from Ur to the promised land. And he moved from a man called Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many, even before he had children. And he began with an understanding, with this starting of saying, I'm going I'm to sacrifice my comfort, my, under, my future, my property, in order to have what God has for me, right? And in the process of saying, God, I'm going to follow your will all the way through, imperfectly, as he did, but he continued to choose God's will, he ended up with salvation. I think that's pretty amazing. Second thing we find with Abraham is that he didn't give up. And this is so hard for many of us. We start the path so well. We're so excited on our day of salvation. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's great. And then the first bits of hardship come up. And then the busyness of life comes in. Begins to crowd out. And Jesus even gave us parables about this. He says, you know, it's like a a farmer that goes to sow some seeds. And this is not a very good farmer because he just throws the seeds everywhere. Some even lands on the path and the birds eat it up. Doesn't even catch root, but some of it catches root. It starts to grow and it's exciting, and then it hits rocks. It dies out in the soil. Others. It starts to grow real healthy. Even gets around those rocks, but then the weeds are around it and then choke it out. And only some falls into the good soil and it begins to grow and it grows around the rocks and doesn't get choked out by the weeds and it produces a harvest. Jesus explains this parable because we're dumb monkeys sometimes. He says, you know, the 
seed that falls on the good uh, on the path is hard hearts, and the devil picks it away. People can hear the gospel; it's never going to get there. But those who have a soft heart, sometimes it takes root. But the first bit of hardship, the rocks are hardship, and when they hit hardship, it, they give up on God. They they just give up. And, and there are others where the weeds are the busyness of life. And there's all the other priorities, and they start living for this life instead of for Christ, and it chokes out their faith. You see, what Abraham did is he demonstrated for us what does it look like. There was a lot of hardship in Abraham's life, a lot of it. But he didn't give up on God. And God didn't always make sense, and God didn't work according to Abraham's time schedule. And God asked things of Abraham that didn't, that, that were just crazy from the human perspective, but he didn't give up because he recognized that God exists and he rewards those who faithfully serve him. He was faithful to God. He was loyal to him. He didn't give up no matter what, no matter what it cost. He continued to follow. And there was a lot of distractions in Abraham's life. I mean, when you're a nomad and then you have a you know, booming you know, business there, that's, got, that's a lot to offer. Right? That's a lot to have a busy thing just kind of choke out your faith. But he didn't allow that to happen. In the midst of all of these things, he kept God center. Abraham didn't give up. That's huge for us to recognize. With the Christian faith, there's a lot of times in Scripture it tells us, don't give up. Keep pressing on. Don't run in such a way as to forfeit your crown. Keep going. Don't give up on God. And the third thing is that this is Abraham pursued God, not perfection. The longer we walk with faith in, in Jesus, I think, uh, and there are certain personalities, and I'll be one of those, so I'll preach to myself right now, is I like things perfect, and it just drives me nuts when things aren't, right? Like, uh, that's why I can't have a screensaver on my desk that has a little bouncy thing, because I'll, I'll just focus on it and willing it into the corner, Right? Once it finally hits, I'm like, yes! And then i got to turn it off because it reached perfection and now I can't, right? I, I hate imperfection. It just, and, and sometimes I make things worse trying to make them better. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I remember not too long ago, I was making the beautiful rack of ribs. And I love, and I, you know, I study because I'm a nerd and I found my way that I was going to do. I injected it and I, I brined them and I had everything all perfect. And I, you know, and, and I had my electronic, you know, remote thermometers in the ribs and everything like that. So I knew everything was perfect. And it came up and it was almost the right temperature, but it was like a half a degree off, even though everything else was perfect. Okay, I'm going to wait till it's absolutely perfect and what happened was a demon i don't know because it jumped two and a half degrees like that and they were dried out and horrible sometimes in spite of our desire to be perfect the world's imperfection comes to get us sometimes we are our own worst enemies sometimes we trip over ourselves in pursuit of of god and godly things has it ever happened Abraham wasn't perfect. He made a lot of big mistakes. I mean, I've done some bad things, but I've never sold my wife off as my sister. So I'm pretty good about that. David was a great guy, man after God's own heart. Not the only man after God's own heart, but he was a man after God's own heart, which I think is pretty awesome. He did awesome things, but, you know, killed one of his buddies so he could have an adulterous affair with his wife. I haven't done that yet, and I don't have any plans to. I mean, 
faith is not for the perfect. It's for those who need God, the perfect God. And Abraham kept pursuing God as unworthy as he was. His failings didn't disqualify him from God's promise. That's huge. The Abraham offered God his loyalty. That's what he did. He said, God, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you a little bit better today than I chose you yesterday. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. Sometimes I have to make them twice. But I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm not going to give up. And you don't have to make sense to me. You don't owe that to me. But I tell you what, you're worthy, and I know enough about you to know that you're real, that, that you exist, and you reward those who earnestly seek you. I'm going after you. You're worthy. And God gifted Abraham, as imperfect as he was, with an enduring name, with indelible promises, and the biggest thing, with righteousness that he didn't earn for himself. You know, God grew Abraham through these three steps, if you look at his story. And so how do we grow in our faith? I think we follow it. But the first thing we do is, is choose to follow God's will. What Scripture tells you, this is what God has to say, it should call you into the unknown. It should be out of your, your, your comfort zone. God didn't call you to live the life that you're already living. He called us out to follow him, not to stand around. And God didn't give us you know, big old comfy you know, lounge chairs and say, hey, just sit tight, I'm coming back. He said, follow me. In fact, go into the world and, do, and teach others to do the same. Like There is a change in our life. We live differently because we are Christians. We're going to do things that don't always make sense. God's going to call us into spaces that unless he shows up, we're going to fall and we're going to fail. But guess what? God is there. And he's not calling us to failure. So, find God's will. That's why when you read scripture, if it never offends you, read it again. Like It should be telling you stuff you didn't already know or didn't already agree with. That's when it's working. That's when it's telling you to. there's a better way to live. Rejoice in those moments. When God brings discipline into your life and you recognize, man, I was doing it this way and now that didn't work and now there's a little bit of pain because it, it, that didn't work, be happy because there's a better way to live. And your God loves you enough to show you that. Follow God's will. Get it into your heart that no matter what this world has to say, no matter what this world has to offer, I'm choosing him first, I'm choosing him most, I'm choosing him consistently. Follow God's will. Because God's will goes to great places. Second thing, don't give up. And this is going to be a test of endurance, which I'm grateful, one of the fruits of the Spirit, happens to have to do with a little bit of endurance. But it says long-suffering. Some of them say that, because I don't know if any of you have ever ran everywhere, but like the second step, it starts to hurt, right? But the idea is this, that God's going to give you the endurance. You're going to finish this race. It's not going to be just on you, that those who wait upon the Lord, He's going to renew their strength. Right? He's going to be the one that's going to carry you across. So don't give up. He's going to give you enough today to make it through today. That's God at work in you. And if you ever feel like you're at a point, you say, God, I am exhausted. I've been waiting on your promise. I've been praying for so long for this, Lord, and it seems like everything's going the wrong direction. Praise God that you're there because he's going to carry you through and you're going to see him. And you're going to recognize that our God is bigger than your understanding and bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than the way that this world normally works. He's supernatural. Our God is at work. So don't give up. And you're certainly not the first Christian who's ever been exhausted. 
You're certainly not the first Christian who's ever been beyond themselves. But you got to get past yourselves to get to God. So get past yourself. Get over yourself just a little bit and don't give up. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. He's the one that's building something in you and through you. The foundations and the city are from Him. You're being made into something so much bigger than you could ever take credit for. Don't give up. Now, pursue God, though, in this, and not perfection. You're going to mess up. And God knows you're going to mess up. He's not surprised. He knows from the very beginning. He's like, all right. But he's not mad about that. I remember when Thomas was little. It wasn't very long ago. And uh, he was learning how to walk ever too fast. And I didn't realize how exhausting my life would become once he became mobile. And never stopped. As he was beginning to walk, I remember him, he was, you know, just kind of standing up on little shaky legs like this. And then he took that first step and he had that look on his face like, oh man, this is like the most thrilling thing I've ever done. And then he fell back onto his bottom. And I was like, I can't believe you're so bad at walking. Like, ever look at me. I can walk around all the time, Thomas. What's wrong with you? Of course I didn't do that. I was celebrating. Amy and I celebrated. We're like, look at this. We got an athlete on our hands here, ladies and gentlemen. He can walk. I knew he wasn't going to do it perfect from day one. He bonked his head way too many times. Right? He fell down. He did all kinds of, of crazy little things in his pursuit to be a becoming competent. God knows that you are an infant of faith as you grow. He just expects you to grow. He's not upset with when you fail. You're going to learn from that, and he's going to be there to help pick you back up. He's going to be there to encourage you. But you've got to keep pursuing him. And if you pursue your perfection, you're actually pursuing yourself. This is pride. It's not about me. It's about this. God, I want to, I want to love you. And I messed up. That's why we have communion every week. I love you, and I pursue you with my whole heart, with everything I am. And when I have the next opportunity to choose you, then I'm going to choose you. So choose to pursue God. Not yourself, not perfection. You don't have to do it perfect. You don't have to be worthy. You just have to choose. And he will take that. And he, will, he will bless it. Because God exists, and he rewards those who honestly seek him. So how do we apply that? These are on your connection card. First thing, I think you just have to know this to be true. Memorize Hebrews 11.6. I gave you the first half of it, but why don't you just memorize the whole thing? That without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, we know that God exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Because that really tells us how we begin to grow in this. And as we do that, why don't you read Genesis chapters 12 through 22. Read about this man, Abraham. Watch his faith grow. Because the way his faith grows is how our faith grows. And... Confess your, your, or don't give up on God. Don't do it. You confess your doubts. You don't give up. You're just like, God, I'm going to pursue you. And maybe today that's where you're at. You are choosing not to give up. But there's something else I'm going to ask you to do today. And the reason I'm asking to do it is because it's going to be a walk into the, the dark. It's a step of faith that's going to actually cost you something in an area of worship. Now remember, worship is when we center our lives on God. And God tells us in his word, there's a way to center. He wants us to center our lives around him with 
our time, our talents, and our treasure, right? And that you can do those things and be legalistic and not actually choose him. But he tells us, hey, he invites us to put him at the center. Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you with the easiest of those three as we begin this. We're going to have a 40-day tithe challenge. Now, we, last time we held one of these was in 2020, right before, uh, and, and that was a challenge. The reason I chose it this year, it's been, th- it's been several years, three years, and I like to do it every three years, but also, I know the economic outlook this next year is tough. And I also know, in the midst of this, that, that, uh, that God's promises are real. Either he's real or he's not. And I know that when I did this, and Amy and I started tithing, and we began to seek God and trust that he really does exist, and he really rewards those who seek him, that he's going to keep his promises. And guess what? He set me free from worry. He set me free from, from, from all of this anxiety that right now is plaguing so many. And you don't have to live that way anymore. See, you're not like the people in Ur of Chaldees. You are like Abraham. You know the Father. You know he exists, and he invites us to actually live like it and receive the the benefits thereof. He exists and rewards those who seek him. He calls us out of this, this anxiety that comes from when we have the wrong things at the center. And so I'm inviting you to join us, 40 days. Try it out. And there's a reason why I would say try it out. There's a biblical thing there. Let's talk about in the Old Testament, Malachi. I, when I was an early Christian, I thought it was Malachi. I thought he was Italian, but he's not. And, and the prophet Malachi, God is speaking to the people, and he's like, your hearts have come far from me, and there's going to be bad things, but I want you to come back. And this is one of the ways he says, I want you to come back. It's in the Old Testament, there's actually a law of the tithe. But before the law, there was actually still the tithe. And this is what he invites them to. In the midst of, of their hearts being wayward from God, this is what he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Either God exists or he doesn't. And if you're sitting there like, oh, churches always just ask for money. No, I'm asking for your soul. I'm asking for your heart because that's what God wants. But if you can't love him with the practical things of today, how can your faith ever grow? Do you really believe he exists? Do you really believe he rewards those who seek him earnestly? God says, test him. He's not going to drop you. I want you to be set free from the anxiety this year. We've had over uh, three dozen people in our church past have gone through this. It's been amazing to see how God has worked in their hearts and lives. And we don't just do it for the blessing, we do it to find God. So I'm going to challenge you. How do you do a tithe? So income, all the money that comes in, you give 10% first back to God. You give it to the church. That's where it goes to the storehouse. Tithes always go to the church, your church family. So say, you know what? For 40 days, I'm going to test God. I'm going to see if that actually works. I challenge you to do it. You know, and you're like, well, that's just Old Testament stuff, Aaron. Well, let's look at New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul was taking up an offering. This wasn't even a tithe. This was an offering for another church, right? And even in that, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Why? Because God wants your heart. And he's going to meet you there. So I'm challenging you. Don't hold back. 
Sometimes you got to move out of the earth of the Chaldeans. Sometimes you got to follow God. Sometimes you got to look in his word and say, well, this is what you're calling me to do, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient. I don't know how you're going to keep your promise, but you're going to keep your promise. You actually exist. Put your face to the test so that you can see God is real. If you want to do this 40-day tithe challenge, you're going to need some support because it's going to be hard. So I need you to let me know. There's going to be some tools. i got some materials for you. I'm going to be praying for you every day as you go through this. It's going to be raising you up in the midst of it, but you need spiritual cover as you go through it. So let me know, and we will be supporting you. We'll be praying for you on your connection card. Say, yeah, God, I'm going to be taking this tie, 40 day tie challenge. I'm going to be stepping out in faith to put you at the center. Put your faith to work so your faith can grow. Now, lastly, if you're here, and this is the most important, even more than that, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you need salvation. This is even more important than that. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. You can't tithe your way into the kingdom. You need to come to know God. If you need to do that, to take that step of faith, at the end of the service, I'll be right over here. I want you to come talk with me. Don't leave today until you've, you've made that profession of faith. And everybody else, don't leave because we're going to have a lot of yummy food and we're going to at least start the setting up for that. Uh, but uh, if you need to, to accept Jesus, your Lord and Savior, come talk to me and we'll help you take those steps of faith. All right. I hope I've given you all something to do. And I'm going to challenge you to do it. Put on your connection card with your, with your prayer requests. In just a moment, we're going to be taking our, our offering. So take your, your prayer requests and your tithes and your offering, put in the offering basket, right? And if you're online and you want to take some tithe challenge and stuff too, let me know, right? Uh, email me and I'll support you as well. Uh, and, uh, but let us know how we can pray for you, support you, and offer your best to God today. Uh, let me pray as, as we set our hearts in faith to Him. Heavenly Father, thank you that you set us free from this world, that we don't have to operate only by the laws of this world, but Father, by the, the sovereignty of your kingdom, that you are at work even in the midst of our doubt. You're at work even in the midst of our imperfection. You're at work even in the midst of the brokenness that you're doing amazing things and you're worthy. Father, today I thank you for the challenge. I thank you for the, the example of, of Abraham that there are times that our faith needs to be tested in order to be, to be, be forged, to be proven true, and that the blessing follows on the other side. So Father, I pray today that you help us take that step in faith. And Lord, reveal in our heart, if there's anything that's there that shouldn't be, Father, if there's someone else on the throne or anything else on the throne of our hearts that's not you, Father, help us to remove that and put you there. And for those who are taking the tithe challenge, Lord, I ask that you would bless that, that you would meet them where they are, that you would reveal yourself just as you did to Abraham as the true God, the God who, who keeps his word, Father, the God who does more than, than we could ever take credit for. Father, take all of our, our gifts and our offerings and everything, Father, and use it to build your kingdom, Father, the foundations by which you are not just the architect but also the builder, that, that uh, what we built in this church is not just a, a name in this town, but, Father, your eternal kingdom amongst us. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior.